Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not, little flock. In um, AD 410, the Western world, as it uh, was then constituted, constituted, get my teeth out, um, had an incredible shock wave. A shock wave that really took it to its very foundations. Because in AD 410, uh, the city of Rome was finally entered in by the Visigoths and was actually sacked. Uh, the unthinkable had actually occurred. And as always, I suppose, politicians never change. There was after that a great question. How did this happen? Why did this happen? And it just happened to be convenient for so many politicians to blame the Christians. They blamed the Christians and blamed their Christian faith on the fact that Rome somehow had been weakened. In response to that, the great Augustine, the, the church father, wrote probably his most famous book, The City of God. And the whole emphasis of the book was this, that basically the history of the world always has been, always will be, about two cities. The city, the earthly city, and the city of God. Uh, and the book really opens up what that means and why that means. Now I'll begin with that illustration, not because I'm trying to be smart, but it seems to me it fits what's actually happened here in Luke 12. Jesus is dealing with this whole matter of materialism. We live in a material world, and, we, we, and I tried to look up this morning, I'm sure very insignificantly, I'm sure, uh, uh, the, what that means for the person who never thinks about the reality of God and the city of God, if you like. And Jesus doesn't leave it there, because as he carries on here, he then turns his attention to his own people. And how they need to think and respond about the material world in which they live. And it seems to me that as he opens up his teaching here, this particular verse sums up, if you like, it puts in a nutshell all that he wants them to understand about what it means to live by faith in the material world. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Three things, okay? Here's the first. First and foremost, notice that Jesus here addresses his people, the church, as a little flock. The language there would literally allow you to say, little, little flock. Uh, the original is, is the word from which you get micro, not micro cars, guys, but something really small. And Jesus emphasizing here the reality that his people in contrast to the world in which they are called to live, are very small. Now, what's worth taking up first and foremost from your, your, my point, sorry, mine and yours point of view as believers is this, that here is a unique, a unique title that Jesus uses about his people. You won't find it anywhere else in his teaching or in the New Testament. You often find our Lord Jesus addressing his followers as little children, but here, uniquely, he talks about a little flock. And, and the whole idea is, is a term or a title of endearment. Now, you've all got those, haven't you? Uh, you've got those in your family. I, whether it's a South London thing, I don't know. But with all four of our kids, have all had nicknames. 
Uh, they've all got proper names, uh, but they've got nicknames. And, and I had a rather chastened experience a number of years back when our number three, Nicholas, uh, I went to watch him play football as a 14, maybe, maybe even 16 evenly. And I was on the sidelines watching him and getting engrossed in the game. And suddenly he kind of he got involved in the game and, and, and took a guy out. And, and I shouted out just almost inadvertently, go on, Nicky Knock. Well, did I get it in the, did I get it afterwards? Dad, don't call me that. You know, I'm 16. Uh, and I had to apologise, I, I, you know. And I said to him, look, it, I, sorry, it's just a term of endearment. Because when he was a kid, that's what we used to call you. Now, I want to suggest to you that there's something very, yeah, very sweet, very comforting, very familiar that you and I as Christians should take away when our Lord Jesus uses that term. It's a unique form of dress, a, a title that, that's, that's talking about the intimacy there is between Jesus and his people. And of course, it's a term that Jesus uses, term, title, that actually is built upon God's revelation in the Old Testament. Uh, quite often in the Old Testament, God reveals himself as the shepherd of his people. Psalm 77, you lead your people like a flock, or sorry, you led your people like the flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Or Isaiah 40, you've... God feeds his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them, gently leading them. And here's the title, of course, that Jesus takes now and uses as his own. Here is the eternal Son of God speaking to his people and talks to them as his little flock, the little flock that he has from his father. And of course, later on in John 10, we know we've got this wonderful description of our Lord Jesus as being the shepherd, the good shepherd. And that's why the apostles then take that out, don't they? So when you come to the apostolic era, you, you find that, that Peter uh, and the writer to Hebrews, they take this out. Peter talks about Jesus being the chief shepherd. The writer to Hebrews talks about Jesus being the great shepherd. And then Paul, when he's preaching to the, um, uh, to the Ephesian elders, says, take heed yourself and the flock. It's, it's this wonderful way in which we're to understand God's intimate concern and love for us as his people. But the question is here, why? Why does Jesus use it here when he's talking about living in a material world? Look at verse 22 of this chapter. He tells them, he says, look, therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. Then in verse 20, 25, which you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span. And it's then that he says, fear not, little flock. That, that there's a connection here between who we are and who we belong to and facing up to some of the trials of life that come to us in, our, in, in walking by faith in terms of the material world in which you live. And the main point Jesus is saying is that, you know, we are not, we are not to be anxious. I think it's Peter Lewis uh, in one of his books who says that anxiety is a kind of atheism for the Christian. 
that somehow it's understandable, isn't it? Um, but, but actually, he's saying it, we shouldn't think like that. Why? Because there is this relationship. Can you imagine, a, you know, one of your family members to whom you, 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 you might have a nickname, not as ridiculous as our one, my one, I hope, but suddenly would, would they expect you to desert them? Would they expect you to leave them? Uh, or, or leave them in, in a, a dire strait? No. And Jesus said, well, look, your heavenly father, there is no way that he is going to leave you adrift in a world like this. But notice, secondly, this. As Jesus uses this title, he does so by giving a command. Fear not, little flock. Now, whenever our Lord Jesus gives a command to his people... He does so because by the grace of God, we are able to keep that command. But again, what is so fascinating here from my point of view is that Jesus gives that title and addresses the flock, the body, the vine, the building. Uh, and he's picking up on this idea, isn't he, that throughout the New Testament, so often it is our organic unity as followers of Jesus Christ by which we are united by the spirit in which we are addressed he's, he's speaking to us as a whole and it's that in itself which actually he's dealing with he's saying, look you may seem very small in number in size but that belies the reality not only to whom you belong but what he has promised to give to you. We're, indi we're individual members of a flock, aren't we? Um, we, we were driving down to my mother-in-law's back um, just before COVID and going over from, um, going over towards Sennybridge um, from Pennyvan uh, and um, driving along and just suddenly had to slam on the brakes because, of course, what come across the road is just an individual sheep, you know, totally adrift from the rest of the flock. And, um, yeah, uh, just stopped in time. But actually, we can sometimes be like that. But you saying there's something we need to understand that wherever we are, whatever situation we're in, he sees us as a flock. That doesn't mean he doesn't care for us individually. Of course he does. But he sees us as a flock. What he's getting at is, there, is it, that even as a flock, in comparison to the world around us, we're pretty insignificant. We're vulnerable. Think about that. Jesus is saying, I'm acknowledging your vulnerability to live by faith in a world like this. And there is a sense in which I acknowledge that because the power of God's grace in us is shown by that very vulnerability by which we so often find ourselves fearful. Now, that, I don't know about you, but that, that just takes me back. In other words, our Lord Jesus is saying, the very kind of insignificance you feel as a believer even as a group of believers I fully understand and my 
I can use the excuse, my grace will be sufficient for you in your needs. In, in other words, Jesus is always fully aware of the plight of his church in the world. That's what he's teaching us here. Our Father, therefore, is aware of the material plight that we might be in. I, I, you know, I've just come back from, from, uh, in, in May from three, three, three weeks or so in Nepal um, and um, uh, ministering out there. But what always gets me is just the, the, the incredible poverty that actually hangs alongside kind of a degree of material wealth. What do you do when you're taken as a pastor to visit a believer in their home who's sick and dying of cancer? And the only thing that's laid beside her beds are a few paracetamol. Because there's just nothing else. And you you, you sit there and you go with the the elders from the the church and you think, where is the father? But of course he does care. He is aware. And he's at work. Fear not, little flock. And, and, and you know, uh, when we reflect upon some of our, and they're real, aren't they, at some of our difficulties. But when we reflect upon what we do have, that we've got so much as Christians to be more. Jesus is wanting us to be realistic about our Christianity. That's what he's wanting us to do. Excuse the phrase. Being a Christian is not a bed of roses or a walk in the park, is it? It's the most wonderful, joyful, fulfilling, satisfying life that there is to live. But the reality of walking by faith means that sometimes faith is to be tested in order for us to grow. And one of the biggest areas where that happens, says Jesus, is in this whole material world. And yet even here... Fear not, little flock. It's a command. Don't fear. But that leads us to a third thing. Because as well as this title, which comes with a command, there is, of course, a promise. Fear not, little flock. Why? For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, I have no idea how this guy does it, but according to um, the, the American writer Charles Swindle, he says that there are 7,474 promises found in the scriptures. How, how he's ever got that, I don't know. I'm lost and amazed. But, but I can believe it for this, simply this reason. Because from beginning to end, our Heavenly Father has given us a book that is full of promises, isn't it? He's given us commands and he's given us promises and the links between God's commands to us and God's promises to us is this wonderful work of grace that is that he gives to us through his son the Lord Jesus and here is a foundational promise it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom That's a pretty extensive, embracing, expansive promise that describes the nature of our Father as our God. What is it that he cannot do? What power is there that he does not possess? 
What authority that is not his? What person is not ultimately under his sovereign control? It's a pretty boundless, benevolent uh, uh, nature that the Father has to give such a promise. And you notice that Jesus says, it is your Father's good pleasure. Your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, now, that should blow you and I away. Why? Because there are so many things. What could the Father find pleasure in? The Father can and does find pleasure, perfect pleasure, in who he is as God. He doesn't need anybody outside of himself. The Father finds a perfect pleasure in the relationship he has in the Trinity between Father, Son and Spirit. He has pleasure in his creation. But here Jesus is saying, do not fear, little flock, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And the potency of that little word is this. It's exactly the same word that Luke uses earlier on in his gospel. When Jesus is baptized and he comes out of the water, do you remember? And the voice from heaven, uh, and you, uh, you hear God the Father saying, this is my beloved son, in him I am well pleased. It's exactly the same word. Is our Lord Jesus saying, just as the Father takes pleasure in me as his one and only beloved Son uniquely, he has a good pleasure towards you, and that good pleasure is to guarantee you the kingdom. Now, you see what he's saying? He's taking a, he's a, taking a macro promise to a micro situation. He's taken the micro situation to our material struggles and saying, here's this macro promise, in spite of whatever they are, your God's good pleasure is to give you the kingdom. I suppose it's similar to a degree to that which John uses in, in his first letter. Um, when he says this, doesn't he, in, in 1 John 3 and verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has towards us, that we should be called children of God. And notice a couple of things about this pleasure that the Father has. The Father shows his pleasure in his purpose towards us. His purpose is to give us, as a gift, the kingdom. It's not something that we can earn. And, and I think that the Apostle Paul is, is picking that up a little bit in, in Ephesians chapter 1 when he uh, he displays that wonderful panorama of salvation when he he puts it all down to this doesn't he he says it's the good pleasure of his the father's will that in Christ he should give you all spiritual blessings it's also this isn't it the father shows his pleasure in the power he exerts to make that gift possible Many years ago, when I was pastoring in London, I had a guy uh, who was converted in the church. He used to be a boxer, uh, well, a, a trainer. He worked for Barry Hearn, and if ever you watch, if was, I hope you're not anti-boxing in this church, but if ever you watch Sky Boxing, you'd often see this guy in the corner. Uh, he, was a, he was a corner, a ring man. And he said to me one day, he said, he, he said to me, John, he says, will you come to the house as a pilot with me next week? 
supplier. He said, well, there's this big do on for Lennox Lewis, the box. He was the world champion. He said, and I've got a spare ticket. I'd like you to come. Okay, so, so I went. Uh, and I got to the house apartment. We went in and we stood in this big room and, and you know, fancy room. And I stood in the corner, tried to, I don't know why, just be out of the way. Because there's all these boxing people there and, you know. And what I didn't realise was that there was a pedestal here and when Lennox Lewis came in, he stood on this pedestal to speak. And I could not, I could not, <laughs> I could not take my eyes off his hands. They were absolutely huge. I thought, fancy being hit by one of those. You just would be mad. And, uh, and I've always thought of that in this respect. Our Lord Jesus said, Here's the pleasure that the Father exerts through his power. You're in the Father's hands. No one is greater than my Father, Jesus said Jesus in John 10. And no one can take you or snatch you out of my Father's hands. The Father shows his pleasure too, doesn't he, in the perfection of the gift of the kingdom which he gives. Because it isn't something, is it, that's just kind of um, like a, a little scroll that you're given, or it's not something that's, um, it's something that's immensely personal. And here it is, isn't it? Romans 8. He, that's God, who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also freely give us all things? This is what he's saying here. Don't fear, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom and the perfection of that giving is found in the kingdom that was established through his dear son, the Lord Jesus. And notice this fourthly too, the father shows his pleasure in the permanence that he gives. He talks here, doesn't he? Jesus says, to give you the kingdom, it's, a, it's an everlasting kingdom, isn't it? It's an everlasting kingdom. It's one that won't know end. It's one in which we'll eternally be satisfied. Do you know, whenever the New Testament, whether it's our Lord Jesus or, or um, uh, particularly and even, but even the apostles, whenever they, he used that word kingdom, he used it in a number of ways. Sometimes he used it to describe the work of God in our hearts. That's, that's Luke 17, 21. The kingdom of God is within you. Sometimes Jesus used the word kingdom to talk about the fullness of salvation. Luke 18 and 24. How hard for the rich to enter into the kingdom. Sometimes he used that word to talk about the church. Yes, Matthew 16, to Peter the promise, I give you the keys of the kingdom. And sometimes he talked about in terms of the entire redeemed universe of which the kingdom, which the kingdom would eventually become. Luke 23, um, sorry, Luke 22 and verse 30. When Jesus said, you will eat and drink with me in the kingdom of God. That's the extensive nature of what Jesus is actually saying here, isn't it? The Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. 
But when God brings his grace into our heart for our Lord Jesus, he establishes the rule of his kingdom within. That allows us to be governed and live our lives as members of the kingdom, members of the flock, little sheep. And even though there are many dangers, yet he keeps us. It brings us into a community of like-minded people, a flock, a church, who are waiting to inherit the riches of the kingdom. So here's the thing. How significant is the Christian church in the eyes of the world? Not very. It's a pretty little flock, really. You know those times when you drive round in Wales, and it still gets me, and, and particularly during the winter or whatever, and, and you're driving somewhere and you see kind of, you know, it's pouring of rain. It doesn't rain much in Wales, I know, but I mean, it's pouring of rain, and, 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 and there's this little group of sheep kind of scattered on the hillside looking so vulnerable. You know, that, that's sometimes what it can feel like for us as Christians, isn't it? But here's Jesus saying, little flock, everlasting kingdom. The two seem absolutely an antithesis, but no, 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 says Jesus, not in the Father's hands. This little flock has the kingdom. And the insignificance of the flock is outweighed by who it is who takes pleasure in them. It's the Father. I suppose someone could be very cynical at this point and say, do you know what? Well, when you look at the history of the Christian church, it's had a pretty kind of checkered history. It's not exactly been kind of all, you know, straightforward, has it? But the checkered and faltering history of the little flock that Jesus speaks of does not eradicate the glorious end that it is waiting for it in the kingdom. And that's where you are going. That's to whom you belong. So when you wake up tomorrow morning and you're facing the same fears and the same anxieties or the same concerns, you're thinking, Father, what's going to happen here? Don't forget that here's this promise, my little flock, it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You're in his hands and he is never, ever going to let you go. Now, I know that's easy to say at the front, but not so easy on Monday morning. But it doesn't take away the reality of the love of your Father through his Son, our Saviour, to you as his child. Perhaps we should end with this little illustration from the Old Testament history. Do you remember in the book of Daniel when at the beginning Nebuchadnezzar um, has this dream that can't be, no one seems to find an answer to and finally Daniel comes forth and said, well okay, I'll tell you what the dream is you saw this huge big statue and it was made up of gold and silver and iron and clay and there's this huge giant statue, and suddenly says out of nowhere out of nowhere says Daniel, this little tiny rock appears 
and it grows. And it gradually obliterates this huge edifice of a statue that you see. That was obviously God's way in Daniel's hands. And you know what? Here it is. My little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And nothing in the material world, nothing in the political world, nothing in the the philosophical world, nothing in the educational world can stop that from occurring. Fear not, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom.